Well, we have a really good number of people present this morning, and we're glad you're here. I know we have visitors, and uh, we're really thankful you're here. I hope we make you feel welcome. I hope you'll want to come back in the future. And if you will, there, there should be a visitor's card located just in front of you. I'd like for you to fill that out. You can hand it to me when you go out the back door. But we're glad you're here. Got a couple of other quick announcements, and then I'm going to get right into the lesson. First of all, I'll join with James. Can't improve on anything he said there, but uh, happy Mother's Day to everybody, all the mothers that are here. And uh, one in particular I want to single out. Patricia, it is great to have you back with us. So uh, thankful to God that she is back with us this morning. A couple of other quick announcements. Movie night this Friday night. And uh, if you want to reserve a spot, because I hate to tell anybody at the door you can't come in. (laughs) But if you want to reserve a spot, uh, please let us know today. We appreciate that. Um, That'll be Friday night. And also... Got confirmation on Carteret Park, so July the 15th. Go ahead and mark that down in your your calendars. That's a Saturday, and uh, we're going to have our sports day picnic around the corner here at Carteret Park. So uh, July the 15th, you can keep that in mind. Without any further delay, let's get into the lesson. We're talking about this year, my church. We're talking about, as much as anything, what characterizes, what identifies my church. As we're going out and we're talking to people, as people are taking notice of who we are and what we are, what should they see? What should be exemplary about this church? And we'll kind of keep that in mind as we go through the lesson today. This quarter, in particular, we are focusing on truth in my church. One of the things that the Lord's Church should be known for is that it espouses truth, that it... uh, It it stands for the truth. We'll talk more about that as we look through the lesson today. But it should be characterized by doing things in and by and for the truth. This morning I want to talk about the idea of being sanctified through truth. Jesus prayed that that would be the case for his disciples, for his church, sanctified through truth. So let's get right into it and take a look at um, this idea of being sanctified through the truth sluggish starting here, but our theme verse for the year, and uh, or rather for the quarter, is that the church, the house of God, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I talked a little bit about that the first Sunday of this quarter, but I'm going to come back this morning and really talk about it. The idea of the church being the pillar and ground of the truth. As we look at the Lord's church, we don't meet, so I want you to understand this, it is not that the church, whether we're talking about the congregational leaders, uh, if we had elders or whatever, or we're talking about the members of the church here, it is not that we are the source for truth and an infallible source for truth. In any sense, we don't, uh, we don't uh, devise the truth, we don't come up with what's right. Uh, sometimes I even get asked that question, how do you come up with uh, maybe something that we're doing? We don't. Is the idea. We are not the source of truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus alone. So when we talk about the source of truth, we talk about Jesus. So when we say the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, when Paul says that in 1 Timothy 3, he does not mean that church policy, or sometimes called polity, the government of the church, or the truth that it, it teaches. He does not mean it comes from them. Rather, what is meant is that the church, and you remember we had a lesson earlier, and if I'm fiddling with my eyes and if it looks like I'm crying, it's because these allergies are bad right now. But anyway, 
the church that is comprised of, made up of people of the book. Remember we had a lesson where uh, I talked about people of the book. That it holds up the truth. That it holds firm to the truth. That it holds forth the truth to the world. That's what we mean by the church being the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is most effective when every member takes part to do that. So let's go back to this idea in 1 Timothy 3. The pillar and the ground of the truth. These are terms that Paul uses that are rarely used. In fact, the word ground here, which means the base of it, the support in that sense uh, of the the truth being based there. It's only used here in 1 Timothy 3. And the word pillar, which literally like the pillars of a mansion or a great building, columns sometimes, the support that that gives. Is rarely used, but you will see it. I'd like for you to turn over with me, if you will, to Revelation 3. And this is something Jesus said as he addressed the church there. And he, well, if I can get to Revelation 3 here. As he talked about the church, and this was one of the, the two churches that he does not really have anything negative to say about them. So if you'll notice in, in verse 12, he says, Him that overcomes will I make a pillar. Same word as in 1 Timothy 3. So here's an individual. Notice the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. But what do you mean by that? Well, Paul means the people within it. Because it is in that verse that he's telling Timothy, he's writing the thing so that Timothy, a member of the church, will know how to behave himself or conduct himself. So the reference reference is to the individuals of the church. Here Jesus says, Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of um, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. And I will write upon him my new name. Now you notice what Jesus is saying there. When you overcome, when you are a person that rises above the world, so to speak, and you rise above all the challenges to your faith, whether that would be temptations to sin or persecution that comes. When you rise above all of that and you're victorious and you live your life for God as you're supposed to live your life, then you become a pillar. That is, you are a support for the church. For the church. And the truth is, if you don't do that, if you're a member of the church and you don't rise above, then you become someone who detracts from the church, hurts the church, harms the church, uh, you know, becomes a negative reflection upon the church. So you have a choice. As a member of the church. You can be that strong column within it. That pillar of the temple of God. Or you can fight against it. Turn against it. And be someone that detracts from it. So a church is most effective. Any congregation is most effective. When each member personally accepts this responsibility. And thus the church then becomes the base of the truth. Remember I put up here and I want this morning. But I put up here sometimes as I'm going through these lessons a question that says, you know, the church, what you should find in the church is that's where the truth is. People should know the church for that. I mean, if we were to name different churches around here, we might know that they stand for things. That if you went there, you could be part of this program or that particular function or whatever it might be. Well, the church of the Lord should be known for the truth. In fact, if someone is saying, what do you know about that church? Well, I know they teach a lot of Bible. That kind of thing ought to immediately spring to mind. We should be known for the truth. It is the base and the support. We, 
as members of the church, are pillars within the temple of God. Let's go further with that idea. Go back with me to John 17 that Marvin read for us just a moment ago. And here Jesus is, this is sometimes called the high priest prayer, the high priestly prayer. It's the night of the, the betrayal. It's the night before the crucifixion. And Jesus is praying in the garden. Now, in John, we have the longest discourse of a prayer of Jesus. And we know he was praying this in the garden, among other things. You know, Father, let this cup pass to me and so forth. But here, he is praying for the disciples, for members of the church. Go back with me again to verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Let's talk about that for a moment. What does it mean to sanctify? Or holify is literally what sanctify means. To make holy, to sanctify. Remember this definition? I changed it slightly, altered it slightly. But you remember this from when we were studying the idea of be ye holy? And what we said about the word holy, or to sanctify, to holify. It means to set apart, literally. When you sanctify something, you set it apart. In fact, some cognate forms of the word, notice holiness, saint. One that's been in the news quite a bit lately, sanction. I don't know if you ever stop to think about the word sanction. When we speak of, you know, countries and trade and all of that, and we talk about sanctions being placed on, do you know that that is directly from the root for holy? But you see the idea of being set apart to make sacred in a religious sense, to separate. And in a religious sense, when we're talking about someone being set apart, we're talking about them being set apart or separated by God or for God. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you and I into the body of Christ. Set apart by the Holy Spirit, literally, into Christ's body. And properly, it's a word that just means being different. Unique or distinct. And it has an implications in a religious sense of being godlike. In other words, a person is <clears throat> excuse me. A person is different because they are like God. Most people are not like God. Most people in the world are not godlike or Christ like, but Christians are. And the best of humanity is seen in Christians who are like God. When they love like God, they're kind like God, they're merciful like God, they forgive like God, they don't hold grudges, they forbear, put up with things others would not, they're loving, etc., etc., etc. They're like God. And that makes them different. And different from the world. It's something that's revered, respected in that sense. Noticeably identified with God. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is praying that disciples, that Christians will be sanctified, made like that, through the truth. Thy word is truth. That's why we're people of the book. It is not that we're just literally, you know, having an academic study of the book. We're not just going in here and studying it to see what it says, to learn it for knowledge's sake. You know, I might be interested in something, so I read about it, I study it, I learn about it. We're not doing that. We're doing it so that we might reflect it in our lives. So that we might be like God teaches us through the Word to be. Sanctify them through thy truth. Notice verse 19 again, when he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself. Now we, we look at that and we say, now wait a minute. Jesus says, He is holifying or making himself holy? Absolutely. 
He's about to go to a cross, and that's different. There's never been anything like it, and never would be again. He is sanctifying himself. He is setting himself apart as the Savior of mankind, like Wes was talking about, that God told Mary he would be. He's doing that. And it's unique, and it's distinct, and we focus on it even today. We've honored it in the Lord's Supper. He says, I sanctify myself. That they, notice, with purpose. I'm not just going to die so people will talk about me for 2,000 years. Wow, what a great guy he was. No, I'm doing it for purpose. And the purpose is, in verse 19, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus wants us to follow in his steps and do the same thing he did. To obey God in every respect, every command. To live like God wants us to live. Even the hardest things that God says you have to do. You know, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Even the hardest things, the most difficult things that God would ask of us, we're willing to do that because Jesus did that. Let's go further. Practically, to be a pillar in the Lord's church, It means that members become this living support, these living pillars in the temple of God. Go with me to the book of Ephesians again. I mentioned this briefly. I said I'd come back to it, and I'm doing that this morning. Go with me to Ephesians 2. Now, this is a passage, if you remember, we were talking about the connection between grace and truth, if you remember that. Verse 5, by grace are you saved. And then I showed the connection in the passage to the truth. Well, let's focus back on verses 8 through 10. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And certainly it is not. I didn't come up with this list of things. Why do I do what I do? Not because I sat down and thought about it and thought it would be a good thing to do. No. I learned from the truth, the faith. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not of works. And Paul uses a construction here where I really believe he is saying this. Not only of works. We do a lot of good works, and we're going to talk about that more this morning. We do a lot of good things, a lot of good works, but that's not what's saving us, not only that. It is not that I can go to Judgment Day and somehow get on Judgment Day and say to God, I know I was bad, you know, I know I did a whole lot of bad, but I did a lot of good. And God kind of, and this is the way I was taught growing up, God just sort of weighs it. Big old balance. I was even taught he shows a movie of your life. Thank God he will not show a movie of our lives. But he does not do that. And he is not weighing my bad against my good and saying, well, Michael, boy, you did a lot of bad. But you squeaked by because you did more good. That's not what he's saying. It's not only of words. I mean, I do a lot of good works. You do a lot of good works. But that's not the only thing. You know, if that were so, I could boast of that. And And some people do. I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good guy. I cringe when people say that, you know? You're going to heaven because you're a good guy? Who's good? I mean, that's exactly what Jesus said. Who's good? There's only one that's good. I'm not good. You're not good. We certainly are not good enough to stand before God and tell Him how good we are. Because we can boast of that. No. But we are His workmanship, His handiwork, His craftsmanship. We are what He makes us to be, crafts us to be, created in Christ Jesus under good works. 
When I understand that I'm saved, I understand that I'm saved because of the grace of God, the mercy of God, as this passage talks about, the love of God for Jesus to go and die for me. When I understand that I can profit, as we looked at last Sunday, I can profit from that or benefit from that if I'll just do what God says, then I understand the reason why I do what I do. I'm not earning some place in heaven. I'm not, you know, paying for my mansion. No, I'm doing it because of what God has done. And it's my purpose in life to live like that. Now, we're going to go further and look at it, but notice the point as Paul makes it in chapter 4. Now, here Paul is talking about the idea of learning Jesus Christ. I want you to go down with me to verse 17. This I say, therefore, (coughs) excuse me, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, here are Christians, here are members of the church, saved by God, Created in Christ Jesus unto the life of good works. So he says that you henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk. What does that mean practically? Well, it means that I'm living differently, uniquely, distinctly. That my life is separate from the way the world lives. And you know, I think it's a good measurement just to sit down sometimes and ask yourself this question. Do I live like everybody else? Now, it's not, it's not just say. That I'm trying to be odd or different. I don't want to be. I don't want to, you know, put on some kind of weird... Get- I don't want to be... Let me think of the weirdest... I, I, I got one for you. Go over and... Oh, I wouldn't say you should do this. But if you go over to Times Square, if he's still there, we, everybody knows about the cowboy over there. I, I know you do. I hear the laughter. The cowboy on any given day like today will be standing out there in his underwear. That's what he's got on. And when everybody passes by, they see the cowboy hat and the underwear, and that's the cowboy. We don't want to be odd like that, different like that, to draw attention to ourselves, because there's the weirdo, Michael White. Look at him. No, but at the same time, am I living like everybody else? Am I doing what everybody else is doing? Am I the person that is saying of myself, you know, it's 2017. And I can remember when it was 1992. And I can remember when it was 1975. And I said the same thing to my grandmother. Nanny, it's 1975. And she said the same thing back to me every time. Yeah, and the Bible still says. And you know, I understand that now. God is timeless. And God is telling me the way to live. And it really doesn't matter if it's 1975 or 2017. And someday, a hundred years from now, I have no doubt someone will be saying, well, it's 2103. Right is still right. And so as Paul says here in Ephesians 4, from this point on, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. You know, that unprofitable way of thinking spiritually. goes on in verse 18, having the understanding darkened, And being alienated or separated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. But notice verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. This is what they want to do. What they lust after doing. What's good to them. What feels good. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Now notice verse 20. But you, Christians, have not so learned Christ. I mean, is that what we learned? Did I become a Christian? Did, was my understanding that God was saying to me, Jesus died for me, 
shed his blood for me so I could profess my belief in him, be baptized, and go live like everybody else. Is that what I understood? You've not learned Christ that way. You understood from the beginning that repentance meant you would change everything. A new way of thinking. Put on the new man, verse 24. The idea here is a whole new way of thinking about things. A whole new way of doing things. If something is said in the Bible, if it is right and you are supposed to do it, that's what you want to know and that's what you want to do. And if God says this is wrong and don't do it, that's what you want to know and you don't want to do it. That's that's what you learn. Go with me to another passage. as Paul continues to talk about this in Titus 2. And here again is a passage where Paul talks about grace. And he says, the grace of God has appeared to all. Notice this, verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, or to all men, teaching us. Remember how I said every passage that talks about grace has something about the the law of God, the teaching of God, obeying the teaching? You see it right here. The grace of God that brings salvation. We have no doubt that includes the death of Jesus on the cross, but that whole gift of Jesus teaches us. Listen to it. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, literally wisely, discreetly, good sensely, if you will. I know that's not correct terminology, but that's the point. Have good sense about what you do. Righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, who gave himself for us. We're reflecting back on the grace of God. He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. What is Paul saying? God sent Jesus to die so he could forgive us and bring us out of this mess. Not give us license to go back and wallow in it. Teaching us that we should deny all of these things against God. Redeeming us from all iniquity. Purifying unto himself. Notice, a peculiar people. I wrote special here because that's literally what the word means. Valuable and precious in that sense. Special. You know, if you had a... Somebody gave you a a piece of costly porcelain or crystal. And there's some of it out there that's just incredibly valuable. And some of it is so fragile that you can literally hold it in your hands and press in and it'll just crumble right in your hand. But someone hands it to you and says... You know, maybe you have a job somewhere and a boss hands it to you and says, I need you to go put this, you know, in this particular case and be careful with it. It breaks easily and it's worth $2 million. And you'd probably take that thing like this and walk very slowly and very carefully. Make sure nothing got in your way. Nothing hits you. Oh, man. Man. Oh, man. That's you. That's me. And what God is saying is, that's what you are to me. And I want you to live like you know that. You understand that. A valuable, special people, zealous of good works. It is so special. Because there just aren't that many people out there like that. And you find a person who really, really, really is on fire to do good, to do right. You find something special. 
And he goes on with that. And I'm not going to read all of these verses. But notice how he will say in chapter 3, put them in mind to be subject to the government is the idea. And to be ready to every good work. Not speaking evil of people. Not hating people and hateful to other people as we once were in verse 3. And he just goes on and on with that. Different. Special. A pillar in the temple of God. When you look at that individual, you watch the life they live, you're around them, you're in their presence, what you know about them is, this is a person where you find the truth. Living, breathing the truth. You want to be like that. You're not not a person that just wants to blend in with the world and be as filthy and dirty as the world is. Just do whatever you want to do because that's what the world does. Do everything the world does because it feels good. No, separate from that. Distinct. Honorable. In John 17, and let's go back for a moment to John 17 just briefly. When we look at Jesus praying this prayer, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, he says in verse 17. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. I think he talks especially of the apostles here. But I know he doesn't only speak of them. Because he goes on to say this. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And I don't pray for these alone. And I think that would be a reference to the eleven apostles. Remember, Judas is out of the picture now. I'm not just praying for the eleven apostles. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now that's you. That's me. We're a person who, in the future, from when Jesus said this, did believe the Word. And many of you that are in this room this morning have become Christians. So I pray for them, that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in me, and I in Thee. Now sometimes we preach this, and I do. We read this verse, and we think of unity. And we think of of our believing the same things, united in doctrine and teaching. But is that the only thing Jesus means by this? That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. And that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. I don't think he just speaks of doctrine here. I don't think he just speaks of the idea of you and I believe the same thing, so we're united, we're one. No, I think he speaks of what we do. How we live. That the world may believe. They can see that. They can look at you and I and they can see the truth in the Lord's church. Not looking at a group of people and have people, you know, really honestly, fairly say, those people aren't different from anybody else. They live just like everybody else. They do everything just like everybody else. Why should I go down there and be part of that? I think that's a fair question. I believe Jesus is saying, Father, what I'm praying for is that they will be sanctified. They'll be set apart in the truth. And the world can see that. And they can know that. And if we were to add what he said in Matthew chapter 6, or 5, they will see that and it will be a light to them and it will draw them to you, Father. I believe that's what he's saying. Remember this guy? The man in the mirror. I'm the one looking in the mirror, and I'm asking myself, Michael, what do people see when they see your reflection? They see what you see in the mirror, so what do they see? 
When you're going through your day and you're doing the things you're doing, what do they see? And I've got to tell you, when I ask myself that, it doesn't always feel good. Oh, sure, there are a lot of things that I do good. There are a lot of things you do good. But what needs improvement? When I'm looking at my reflection in the mirror and I'm seeing what other people are seeing, what do I need to be improving upon? Because I am that man in the mirror. And I and remember the year we spent on talking about purpose? I had purpose to fulfill. I am supposed to be a pillar in the church of my God. I am supposed to be the base and the support of the truth. I am supposed to behave myself or conduct myself in such a way that I'm an example that people can see. I am supposed to be that. And when I fail, and I do, we all do, but when I fail, if people see that failure and they see no change whatsoever. You know, it's one thing when I look in the mirror and I see a guy that's looking back at me and saying, you know what, I've come a long way. Got a long way to go, but I have really come a long way, and that's what people are seeing. Then I know that I'm fine. I'm on the right track. But when I'm looking at my reflection in the mirror and I'm seeing the same thing that I saw years ago, nothing has changed. I'm still living like I lived back then, still doing what I did back then, still wrong like I was wrong back then, still being a reflection on the church that's all bad like I was back then. That's got to change. So I ask myself this question. Am I sanctified through the truth? That's a hard question. If I go back to that definition of what it means to be sanctified, and I look at all those words, and I know what it's saying. I mean, that different and unique and distinct and godlike, you know, and something to be respected and all of that. When I'm looking at all of that and I'm asking myself, am I all of that? Has the truth done all of that for me? That can be a very difficult question to answer. I hope you look in a mirror. More than that, I hope you look at the Word of God as you look in a mirror. Because it, in many respects, is a mirror. It is showing you what you need to be. It is showing, it is showing you what you are. And when your conscience begins to work on you, and you begin to think about the answer to this question, is there change? One final point that I'll make. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We hold up, hold firm, hold forth the truth. Let's make a couple of quick observations. I said this, and I've been saying this, and will continue. Desire for the truth, love of the truth, obedience to the truth. That's what characterizes Christians as far as God is concerned. Christians who are sanctified through the truth. And collectively, that's what characterizes the Lord's church. I want you to turn back with me to Psalm 25. Let's think about this song, and it is a song. We sing words from this song quite a bit. It's a very popular song. I love the song, actually. But if you look at Psalm 25... And you'll recognize the words in in one of our songs. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Notice this phrase. Think about this in, in light of what we've been saying this morning. Let me not be ashamed. Do you ever look in a mirror and you're ashamed of what you see? 
And I don't mean you think you don't look good enough and your hair is out of place. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're really thinking about who you are, who that person is staring back at you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. I don't know what you think about when you sing that, but I'm going to tell you what I think about. I think about not like a physical battle like I used to think in terms of. But I think in terms of someone saying to me something like, oh, and you call yourself a preacher. Sometimes, you know, I've had that said to me, and my answer back to them would be, yeah, I do. Or you call yourself a Christian. But it's those times when they say it that cuts deep because I know I'm not living like a Christian or living like a preacher. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies, thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. You ever prayed and just really, 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 really wanted God to remember all those things He said about mercy and grace and love, and you've done something so despicable and you're thankful beyond words that God really is filled with mercy? I think that's what David is saying here. Because verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgression. If God did, would any of us have a chance? Remember not, God. Let me start today clean and new for thy goodness sake. Good and upright is the Lord. And therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. And finally, verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant. Testimonies. Where are you this morning? Are you sanctified through the truth? Or is it that you look at your life and you say, I need to come to the Lord. I know I believe in Him, but I need to give my life to Him. I need to confess that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I really, really need to repent. I need to change. And yes, I need God to wash my sins away. And they are many. Maybe you're feeling like that. You're thinking that. If you'll be baptized, He will wash them away. And maybe it is that at some point in your life you've done that. And you're kind of like David praying this prayer. And you're saying, God, I've made so many mistakes. I've been ashamed. I've been the person where others have said hurtful, hard things. And they've been right. I've been that person who's had to get on my knees and beg you not to remember the things that I did. To take them away. And I'm asking you to do that again today. And I'm giving my life to you again today. But God, I mean it. And I'm going to change my life. I will be a pillar in your church. I will be sanctified through the truth. You need to do that. Please come while we stand.